This episode is dedicated to my most expensive spike. You know who you are. You helped me give. Spike gave me his love of movies, and it really inspired me. This man knows more about movies than anybody I know. And anybody in the movie business knows Spike. This one's for you, Spike. continue with some background music because I found the soundtrack to this one. Let's continue. It's getting good, good, and good. All right. If you're just joining us, please listen to the previous video, if not, or podcast, whatever. An enormous shadow creeps towards us, blotting out the horizon. A loud rumble is heard. Suddenly we are covered in darkness as the shadow engulfs us. Only the lonely image of our earth hangs in the air until a huge silhouetted object suddenly blocks our view. Blocks our view. Cut scene. Oh, baby's crying. Bye-bye. Okay, we are looking at the exterior of New Mexico. New, New Mexico, Radio Telescope Valley, nighttime. A field of large satellite dishes scan the skies. Super up. S E T I Institute. New Mexico. Interior of this institute in the monitoring control center. A lone technician works on his putting skills. Behind him, wall to wall, technical equipment quietly sifts through data. A red light begins to flash. The technician turns and slowly walks towards the source. One by one, a series of lights turn on. The technician, aka Tech One here, grabs a pair of headphones. His eyes widen. Now, on the interior sleeping quarters, sleepily, a supervisor picks up the phone. If this isn't not an insanely beautiful woman, I'm hanging up. The internal control center, tech one, shut up and listen. He holds the phone up to a speaker, increases the volume. A strange, fluctuating tone plays out in sequential patterns. 
in the sleeping quarters. Hearing it, the supervisor bolts up, banging his head on the bunk above him. A pajama party on acid, five other technicians in various states of undress hover anxiously around the main console. The supervisor enters, tying his robe. God, I hope it's not just another damn Russian spy job. Tech number three here, negative, sir. Computer affirms the signal is unidentified. Tech number two says, the boy from air reserve traffic says the skies are clear, no terrestrial launches. Tech one says, it's the real thing, a radio signal from another world. The room becomes quiet as they realize that after years of searching the heavens, they might have finally found something. Let's jump, let's not jump the gun. Run a trajectory source computation. Tech three slides over to another computer. The supervisor says, I want to know exactly where it's coming from. Tech 3 says, this can't be right. Tech 3 just stares at the screen in disbelief. What's wrong? Supervisor asks. Tech 3 says, calculated distance from the source is 385,000 kilometers. He turns to the supervisor. It's coming from the moon. The supervisor reaches over and turns up the volume on the speaker. As they listen to the strange tones, we... An interior hallway at the Pentagon. Elevator doors opens, revealing four-star General Gray, Commander-in-Chief, U.S. Space Command. Understandably nervous, the commanding officer escorts him down the hall. General Gray asks... Who else knows about this? The commanding officer replies, S-E-T-I in New Mexico identified a signal, but we're even more confused than we are. <laughs> the general shoots him a disapproving glance. Commanding officer says, excuse me, sir. He slides his security card through the lock and doors fly open. Banks of computers, technicians, and assistants work feverishly through the night. The officers across the room. In the space command at the Pentagon, the commanding officer says, Satellite reception has been impaired, but we were able to get these. They arrive at a glass table. The surrounding officers snap to attention as a second officer quickly brings over a large transparency. We see a grainy image of a very large, vague object. It looks like a big turd, <laughs> says General Gray. <laughs> the Thanks for that short commercial break. <laughs> I don't want kidney disease. <laughs> the two officers exchange a glance. The commanding officer says, 
We estimate it has a diameter of over 550 kilometers and a mass roughly one-fourth the size of our moon. One-fourth the size of our moon, did you hear me? That general turns to the second commander, officer, concerned. General Gray says, a meteor? The second officer says, no, sir. Definitely not. How do you know? Waller, it's slowing down. It's doing what? It's slowing down, sir. General walks over to the phone, picks it up. Give me the Secretary of Defense. Well, then wake him up. On the interior of Whitmore's bedroom, pre-dawn. Laying in bed, Thomas J. Whitmore reads a stack of papers. The phone rings. A woman's voice filters through the phone. Hi, it's me. The warm look on Whitmore's face tells us everything about how he feels about the woman on the other end. Hi, honey. What time is it over there? We see Mrs. Whitmore in her hotel room, dressed in a nightgown. Mrs. Margaret Whitmore unpacks her briefing papers, lays them out on small desk as she talks through the window. We see Los Angeles at night. It's very nice. She says, two o'clock in the morning. I, I know. I didn't wake you, did I? Whitmore says, as a matter of fact, you did. Margaret smiles. Liar. Whitmore sits up. I have a confession to make. There's a beautiful young blonde sleeping next to me. <laughs> but actually sleeping next to him is his 60-year-old daughter, Patricia. You didn't let her stay up watching TV all night. Of course not. The little girl stirs awake and looks up. Mommy, we're flying back right after the luncheon. Okay, here she is. Whitmore hands her the phone and gets out of bed. Habitually, he turns on the TV. The TV news program says, several pundits sit around a McLaughlin-type news discussion program. The picture quality is snowy, static, rigid. The pundit first one says, the experience in public office was inevitably going to catch up with him. He's scarified his ideals for politics as usual. As Whitmore ties his robe and as he adjusts the picture quality, the second pundit says, I said this during the campaign. Leadership is a pilot in the Gulf War. Leadership as a pilot in the Gulf War has no relationship to political leadership. It's a different animal. Suddenly, the channel changes. Our cartoon comes on. Whitmore turns to his daughter, who hands him the remote. Patricia, his daughter, says, Daddy, let me watch Letterman. Oh, I love Letterman. I was just thinking about, uh, what is that, Johnny? Here's Johnny. 
Uh, I'm thinking of my show like that. It's like variety. I never know what's going to happen one link to another. Anyway, get back to the story. Whitmore says, traitor. And he exits the room. Dun, dun, dun. This music is not giving me the right mood. Whatever. Let's go without it. Internal hallway, continuous. As Whitmore steps out of his bedroom, a security guard snaps to attention. Someone hidden behind a newspaper sits on a bench. Security guard says, good morning, Mr. President. Whitmore says, good morning, George. Oh, turns out he's the president. The paper is dropped, revealing the name of Constance Halebrook. Mid-thirties, aggressive, sharp. The president's communications director. Quickly, she gathers her things and follows Whitmore. On the inside, uh, we see a breakfast table. Two servants are preparing breakfast as Whitmore and Constance enter. Whitmore sits down, grabs a coffee. Whitmore says, you're up early this morning, Connie. She tosses him one of those newspapers in her hands. Constance says, oh, her full name is Constance. Her short name is Connie. They're not attacking your policies. They're attacking your age, sir. Addressing Congress, Whitmore seems less like the president. Okay, I'm reading it to you. Addressing Congress, this is what they're saying. Addressing Congress, Whitmore seems less like the president and more like the orphan child Oliver asking, uh, please, sir, I like some more. Whitmore says, clever. Connie replies, age is never an issue when you stick to your gun. You were thought of as young and idealistic, but the message has gotten lost. There's too much compromise, too much politics. Isn't it amazing how fast everyone can turn against you? Realizing that she may be pushing him too far, she hands him another paper. Well, the Orange County Register has named you one of the top sexiest men of the year. You see, substance at last. <laughs> An aide appears at the door. Excuse me, Mr. President, Constance says. It's the Secretary of Defense. Whitmore goes to the phone and picks it up. Yes. Say that again? The scene cuts to an old Russian satellite. Drifting away from us, the old Russian satellite comes, becomes smaller and smaller. We pan with it as we see it's on collision course with something huge. Suddenly, the satellite explodes on impact with, with the much larger object that dwarfs the puny piece of hardware. As huge as it is, we get the feeling we've only seen a portion of the total. New York City skyline, early morning. A slow crane down from Manhattan skyline, revealing. External Cliffside Park, New Jersey, morning. With the New York skyline across the Hudson, behind them, old men sitting in this small park playing chess, unlike the others. Martin, David Martin, is in his early 30s, 60s, hippie meets 90s, yuppie nerd. He concentrates intensely on his next move. Moisha, 60s, smokes a cigar 
impatiently. Moisha says, What are you waiting for? My social security will expire. You'll still be sitting here. David says, I'm thinking. So, think already. David makes a move. Instantly, Moisha counters his move. David furls his brow in thought. Again, he's thinking. Moisha reaches into a paper bag and receives a coffee in a styrofoam cup. David, you have any idea how long it takes for those things to decompose? You don't move soon, I'll begin to decompose. <laughs> Just as David finally makes his move, Moisha counters again. David shoots him a look and stares down to the board. David, I've been meaning to talk with you. It's nice you've been spending so much time with me, but... Dad, don't start. I'm only saying, it's been what, four years? You still haven't signed your divorce papers? Three years. Three, four, move on. It's healthy. Morcia takes a big puff on a cigar and coughs. Look, who's talking healthy, huh? Suddenly, David's beeper goes off. Moshe says, how many times is that now, huh? You trying to get fired? David makes his queen, moves his queen. Checkmate. See you tomorrow, Dad. He gives his father a quick kiss and hurries away. Hey, it's not checkmate. I can, oh, oh. Hey, you could let an old man win once in a while, you know. It wouldn't kill you. Exterior, New York City streets, minutes later. David pedals his bike through midtown Manhattan. He arrives at Compact Cable Systems. In the interior of Combat Cable Offices, late door, his bike hoisted on his shoulder, David squeezes through the revolving doors. Marty Gilbert, short, nervous, Haired comes rushing over. What the hell is the point of having a beeper if you don't turn it on? David says, it was turned on. I was ignoring you. What's the big emergency? Marty says, started this morning. Every channel's making like it's ni 1950. Snow, static, all kinds of disturbances, distortions. No one knows what's going on. What the hell's going on? David deposits his bike in the kitchenette as Ma Marty tosses his Coke bottle in the trash. David retrieves it. Damn it, Marty. There's a reason we have bins labeled recycle. Finding more bottles in the trash, David turns to Marty accusingly. What the hell is this? So sue me, Marty says. Before David can say anything, Marty ushers him out of the room. Internal, transmission, feed, continuous. Technician are working feverishly. Clearly, every monitor is experiencing varying degrees of signal disruption. David moves over to the main console. David says, Did you try to switch to transponder channels? Marty says, Please, would I be this panicked if it was that simple?
David examines the readouts, puzzled. David says, "Let's retrofit the dish to another satellite." Marty, "We've tried. It's not working. It's almost as though they weren't even there." David looks puzzled. "It's that's impossible." Cut scene. A television set. Bad reception. A hand smacks the side of it. No use. Widen to reveal interior mobile home. Day, eleven-year-old Troy Brennan. Troy Brennan here tries to fix the TV. His older brother Miguel here, seventeen, cooks breakfast. Miguel says, "Stop it! It's all fuzzy, though." Troy says, "You're gonna break it. Just leave it alone." Here, take your medicine. Miguel sets a small bottle of medicine and a spoon down in front of Troy. Troy pushes the bottle away. I don't need it. Just take it, dickhead. Pushing it back, turning to his sister Alice, make sure he takes his medicine. His sister Alice, fourteen, hormones kicking in, testing boundaries, <clears throat> listening to her Walkman while putting on too much makeup. Miguel throws a dish towel to get her as Troy hits the television again. Exterior, trailer park, same morning. A beat-up pickup truck comes up a dirt road and skids to a halt on the gravel next to the Brennan Mobile Home at the small, shabby countryside trailer park. An angry farmer jumps out, slamming his door. Interior, Brennan Mobile Home, same. Alice opens the front door and smells flirt, smiles flirtatiously at angry farmers. Lucas, who marches over. Miguel edges her out of the doorway, wanting to handle this himself. Morning, Lucas. Miguel says. Lucas holds a bowl full of rotting vegetables. Lucas says, "You like these? I've got a whole bunch, crap of them." Unfortunately, he dumps them onto Miguel's feet. L- Lucas continues, "Where the hell is that father of yours?" You know what time it is. He had to refuel. There must have been a problem. We both know what the problem is. He's a damn nutcase. Is what is what he is. I must have been out of my mind. Troy is still smacking the television set. Troy, stop that! I swear, Miguel. If he's not in the air in twenty minutes, that's it. I'm getting someone else. Lucas storms away. Again, Troy whacks at the TV. Stop it, Troy! Determined, Troy hits the television again. This time, the picture goes out completely. I swear, Miguel says. Yeah, well, I'm not saying the rest. Whatever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Cut to exit space, exterior of space, the orbit. Same. Rolling over us, the immense underbelly of this. Enormous craft obliterates our view. A loud screech. Suddenly, the bottom begins to segment. Dozens of large sections begins to disengage, extracting themselves, twisting away from the larger bilge. A separated segments 
themselves are enormous. Slowly, they twist downwards on a collision course to the blue planet below. Dun, dun, dun. Earth. The final frontier. <laughs> Cut to interior of White House. Basement corridors. It's daytime, but who knows, because you're inside. Under a barrage of questions from her own staff, Constance Connie here hurries down the corner. Aid number one. CNN is running a story that we're covering up some kind of nuclear testing experiments. Connie says, tell them to run, it with, it, run with it if they want to embarrass themselves. Aid number two. NASA has been up my butt all morning. They want to know your position. Our official position is we don't have a official position. Connie, what the hell's going on? Constance escapes into the elevator, turns around. She smiles confidently. Come on, people. Would I keep you guys out of the loop? Aid one, in a second. Aid two, absolutely. Before she retorted, the elevator doors close. Perfect timing. Interior, Oval Office, wide shot, same. The President, General Gray, the Secretary of Defense, and the White House Chief of Staff, Albert Nimsky, are gathered around the couch. Secretary of Defense here. At the moment, our satellites are somewhat unreliable. Isn't it possible that thing might just pass us by? Nim Kitskit. Uh, what if it doesn't pass us by? Let's retarget some ICBMs to blow it up in the sky. Yeah, like Civilization Revolution computer game. Yeah. General Gray, forgive me, but with the little information we do have, the only thing we could accomplish is turn one dangerous falling object into many. Duh. <laughs> Just then, the door opens and Constance enters. President Whitmore enters the room. President Whitmore says, What's the damage? Constance says, The press is making up their own stories at this point. Yeah, we've heard that before. We've heard that before. Then Zicky here, the General Gray, get on the horn with Atlantic Command. Let's upgrade the situation to DEFCON 3. General Gray, that's not your call to make, Mr. Nimzitki. Isn't that a little premature? I don't think so. Secretary, Secretary of Defense, we're two days away from the 4th of July. We have over 50% of our armed forces on weekend leave, not to mention the troops and commanders. We have in town for the 4th of July parade. We call them back now. We're sending up a major red flag. They go quiet as commanding officer from Space Command dashes into the room. Commanding officer here. Our intelligence tells us the object has settled into a stationary orbit. Well, that's good news. Not really. He lays out the diagram and photos on the table. Everyone gathers around. Commanding officer continues. Part of it 
has broken off into nearly three dozen other pieces. President Whitmore says, pieces? Commanding officer continues, smaller than the whole, yet over 15 miles in width themselves. Where are they heading? They should be entering our atmosphere within the next 25 minutes. The room is silenced. All eyes turn to the president, who says, nothing. Nimziki leans in close to him. Like it or not, we're at DEFCON 3. We call the troops and put them on yellow alert. Cut to yellow lights flashing on as a alarm quickly Oh, David leans into frame and opens the door to the microwave. We widen to reveal interior David's cubicle, combat cable, day. Offices of combat cable. David retrieves his homemade coffee, cup of scoop. We see this cubicle clearly has the David touch. Ecology posters, plants, tons of computers, and electronic gizmos. Marty says, please tell me you're getting something. Marty enters, looking over David's shoulder as he eats. David says, there's good news and bad news. What's the bad news? We're in meal penalty for... Disturbing my lunch. You're a meal penalty for disturbing my lunch. <laughs> the good news is you won't charge me? <laughs> no. The good news is I found the problem, and it's not your equipment. There's some weird signal embedded within the signal satellite feed. That's the good news? David slides to the other computer and turns on an intricate computer program, computation program. He says, David says, yes, because the analog signal has a definite def sequential digital pattern embedded in, within it. When I find the exact binary sequence and I apply a phase reversed signal to that calculated spectrum that was I built last Christmas. We should be able to block out the outer light completely. And we'll be the only guys in the whole town with a clear picture? That's my man. Cut to exterior California farmlands. Imperial Valley. Shout out to Imperial Valley, you guys. I just found out it is the golden farmland of California. It is right above Mexico border. This is the jewel. You need to just just, just Google it. Imperial Valley, California farmlands. Y'all need to look this up. Mm -hmm. But before we go there, let me take a quick break. It's been a while. Thank you for listening. Love y'all.